Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man Staten. This podcast is dedicated to blue-collar, hard-working public land elk hunters. We preach hard work, delayed gratification, discipline, and staying accountable to yourself. We value faith, family, fitness, fiscal discipline, and of course, public land elk hunting. So come along as we try to educate, motivate, and inspire you to become the best possible version of yourself. Our podcast is brought to you by Wilderness Athlete, performance you deserve. Fuel your body with the best. Use our discount code ELKSHAPE30 and save 30% off your first purchase. We are also brought to you by NUMA Outdoors. Geared for the outdoors, made with bow hunters in mind, built to over-deliver, and most importantly, designed to outperform. Check out NUMAOutdoors.com and be sure to use the discount code ELKSHAPE20 to save 20% off your purchase. Matthews Archery elevating the archery experience take a test drive with the matthews v331 or 27 at a local dealer near you vortex optics i've been partnered with vortex since 2010 this company is awesome they're american owned veteran owned they're based in wisconsin their entire team of designers and engineers produce and distribute a complete line of premium sport optics, accessories, and apparel. Most of the apparel that I wear while training, scouting, and hanging out around the house is Vortex Wear. Go ahead and check it out, and if you want to save 20%, enter the discount code ELKSHAPE at checkout, and you'll save 20%. New from Vortex in 2021 is their tripods. The one I've been using in the backcountry is their Summit Carbon Tube and they're radiant carbon, and it also has a ball leveling head, and it's perfect for rock solid shooting. There is a tripod to fit everyone's needs from Vortex now, and it's still covered with their lifetime no fault transferable VIP warranty. Check it out at vortexoptics.com. Elk Shape Podcast, episode number 200, season number four. Thank you for listening. Let's make it a good one. A lot of you are elk hunting right now. You probably have this podcast on while you're driving to elk camp. So we figured it'd be a good time to sit down and record some good ideas for you to try during elk season. I find it very 
applicable. Uh, Will Cooper of Numa Outdoors has his own podcast with Numa. And so we're going to do a swap cast because I told him this is a special episode. It's number 200. So he said, well, let me interview you. I'll pick your brain and hopefully we can get these guys some good information. So check out Will's podcast if you haven't. But we're going to drop it here today. Just wanted to say thank you all for 200 episodes. Your support means the world to me. It's extremely humbling to know we've done 200 episodes, a million downloads. Uh, Wow, you guys are awesome. Thanks for supporting the Blue Collar Elk Hunter. That's what I'm all about. God bless you all this year. Be safe, shoot straight, and leave no stone unturned. Without further ado, this is Will Cooper, Numa Outdoors, and you're listening to the episode number 200 of the Elk Shape Podcast. Here we go. What's up, y'all? We are back for another episode geared for the Outdoors Podcast. As always, Will coming at you again and today we have dan the fitness man staten coming on board also known as elk shape dan we appreciate you hopping on the podcast with us this morning the pleasure is all mine william well man i know we've become pretty good friends i'd say i hope you feel the same (laughs) over the over the past few months since uh you and i've met and we've made a relationship with newman and just kind of gone from there man yeah, man, I love whooping up on you at TAC. It's just been so we should we should definitely stay friends. Hold up, whoop up. What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about, man? <laughs> well, you know what I'm talking about. But you can blame it on your bow. You can always blame it on your bow. I I, I get it. I've got a new bow. Got a new bow. So we'll work on that. We'll work on that. We'll rematch next year. How's that? Yes, sound? we'll rematch or maybe uh Hopefully, whenever you come down to Texas, maybe we can have a little one-on-one. A little shoot-off? Yeah, we'll have a little shoot-off, a little 3D course or something. Mm, okay, and we'll make a friendly wager. And um, what's those beers you got me down there I like so much? We'll have to wager some of those. Man, I don't even remember. There's, a, I don't remember what <laughs> Te- I – Texas has got good beers. Not that that's what you have me on here to talk about today, but um, <laughs> adult beverages, there's some good ones down in Texas, man. It could be a rabbit hole later on. But, uh, well, man, I kind of want to give some of our listeners a 30,000 foot view of who Dan is for those that may not know you. And so just kind of give us a 30,000 foot view of, of Dan. Yeah. So I would say I am an ordinary dude with an extraordinary passion for elk hunting. So, um, that's probably the simplest way to put it is I have, um, a normal life. I'm married. I have kids. I got a mortgage or two and, um, I got bills to pay, but none of that really, really excites me. Um, what does is chasing bugles in September. And with September pretty much here, I I'm like a kid in a candy store. I'm worse than a kid on Christmas Eve. I, I can hardly sleep. I'm so excited. And it's just because getting out away from all of that life's distractions is really what I'm after is to go get a clear mindset, a reset, get refreshed and unplug and get plugged into a new network of like natural beauty and just stillness. Um, But let's not get it twisted. Will. I'm going for blood. I'm going for, to get blood on the ground. I'm going to shed blood. I'm going to kill an elk. And a lot of people be like, man, I hope I get an elk. I'm going to get an elk. I, the work is in, the hay is in the barn. I've done everything in my power to prepare myself. Now I just got to go out there and kind of um, let luck and, and hard work kind of meet head on and 
hopefully stars align and get an arrow through a bull's lungs. Man, I could not agree with you more. September's, well, we got 13, 14 more days, and it's about to let loose, man. I can't wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, at the time of this recording, I would say 90% of the bulls have already shed their velvet. Testosterone yep. level, testosterone levels are going up. Daylight is dwindling, and um, things are – Things are already, the pot's already starting to get stirred a little bit, which is exciting. What's your office look right now? You got gear scattered everywhere, getting ready? It's kind of a shit show, not going to lie. So um, <laughs> stage one is in my garage, and I have three totes, one with food, uh, one with like hydrate recover, like all my wilderness athlete supplements and all my black rifle coffee stuff, like all my drink mixes ready to go. And then I got a tote full of Numa gear and like all my base layers, all my socks, my underwear. So clothing systems are in another tote. And then I have a couple of ground blinds and chairs um, and then two coolers and a generator. And I'm thinking chairs and stuff. I already said that. Can't remember something else is in there. Uh, oh yeah. Gas cans, a couple of gas cans for mm-hmm. dirt bikes. And then I have my utility trailer with my two dirt bikes. They're already loaded on there. Um, yes. I bring a backup dirt bike, dirt bike. And that's just, that's just called experience friends. I have had things. So I don't ride fancy dirt bikes when I use dirt bikes. I use old school air cooled four strokes built in the early two thousands. And those things sometimes like need repairs in the field. Yeah. And I've finally just, Craigslist it hard and found a matching bike to the one I already owned. So uh-huh. I own two. And so I actually bring two dirt bikes and one's my primary, one's my backup. And uh, I'm not ashamed to admit that. So the, those are loaded up. Now in my office, I have um, two different packs that I'm trying to figure out which one I'm going to use. I'm leaning towards the 22 mag from Kafaru. Really? And then I have, yeah, just for, for, for the majority of my hunts is day hunting. I don't do a lot of backcountry stuff. Okay. Um, I usually hunt far enough to where it would probably be a good idea to, to camp back there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like the, I do like a couple things. One, I like dumping all my footage from the day yep. back at my truck uh, on the laptop and charging the laptop with the generator. Number two, I like, uh, sleeping in my rooftop tent. Like that thing is comfortable. Uh, I'm going to be able to get back, get a good night's sleep. And I don't, I mean, it's not like a ton of, I'm not worried about the energy expenditure. Mm-hmm. I'm more or less in the lack of sleep. Um, I'm just, I can get, come back to the truck, get regrouped. And then I can also like bounce out if I have a gut feeling I need to change locations, which I do quite often. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't really do bivy style bivouacking or spike camp hunting unless it's just, uh, I'll give you an example. Last year in Wyoming, I was going five in and five out just to get into elk country and then chasing bugles on top of that. So I was probably doing 15 a day, every day. And I think a lot of, I think a lot of guys would be like, man, I'm just going to put a camp back here. But I, um, I didn't, uh, I wanted to come back every night to my dad's, my dad had a, like a, he had, what he had, he had a horse trailer with an actual sleep system inside of it. Really nice. And, uh, so I wanted, I wanted to check in with my dad every day and we didn't hunt together. He obviously is 65. He's not going to be doing 15 miles every day. Mm -hmm. And he didn't bring his horses on that trip, unfortunately. So he stayed back and hunted more front country. Um, I think people will be surprised at how far I, I can go and make it back to the truck in a day. And it's, 
it's definitely relying on your fitness, but I've always done that. I've always relied on fitness to make up for my lack of being a good elk hunter. Yeah. I hear you, man. Well, I want to talk about that mobile hunting rig. I know since we're kind of diving down that hole a little bit, you just got your truck completely redone. Talk about that. Well, so right now I'm at a place in Post Falls, Idaho, and they are wrapping the truck. They're putting a wrap on it. Oh, sweet. Um, no, not really. So everyone's going to know where, which truck's mine oh, yeah. and where, where I'm hunting. Um, the graphic designer that built the design, uh, she had this giant elk-shaped logo on it, and I was like, mm-hmm. no. no, 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 we ain't doing that. I said, uh, you can put a teeny tiny one on the passenger door, yeah. um, but it does. It is going to say on the back of the tailgate. It's got some cool topography lines on it and off-road power products, which is the company I've been working with here locally on the build. And it's got arrows and broadheads and elk rack, and sick. it's got it, it. It's going to be sick. I'm and I'm excited to see it here in a couple hours. Um, but as far as the actual truck, I start with the suspension. So like when we planned this build, I was like this truck needs to be able to handle really nasty roads. And quite honestly, a stock GMC is a pretty rough ride. Oh yeah. You know what I'm saying, well, I mean, it's a GMC anyway. Hey, Mr. <laughs> Ram, you, Mr. Ram, I had one. It ain't much. It ain't much better in the mountains. I had a Ram 2,500 diesel lifted six inches, giant 37s. I could pull a house. And I also realized that that thing, those, those, those Cummins engines are so heavy, man, yeah. that I literally, I think I went through a couple ball joints, couple front ends, um, just driving on normal elk roads. So anyways, Damn. we, we tackled the suspension on this GMC first and yeah. put a ready, we use ready lift suspension, mm-hmm. um, three and a half in the front, two in the back. So it's not obnoxious, 34 and a half tires, neato grapplers, um, you know, just basic wheels and, and really like the suspension arms is what makes the thing ride so amazing. So suspension, suspension wise, that was important to beef it up. And then from there, I wanted the deck system, which you have, right? I freaking love it, man. It's a lifesaver. So I'm curious what you put in your deck. Cause here's what I've done with mine. I've dedicated the mm-hmm. entire deck to Murphy's law. So like, it's not a lot of hunting gear. It's actually more like toe straps and uh, changing tire kits and um, all the tools, like a whole new set of tools just yeah. for everything. And so my deck system is like my contingency plan for Murphy's law. Yeah. Oh uh, man. The, w- the way I run mine on the right side, I keep all my tools. I've got some of those decked, uh, those boxes they have. Yeah. That's got, what I have too. Yeah. Yep. I got a couple of those. I keep the tools in, uh, put some just random tools and then the little corner, uh, tubs that you have with the lids. That's where I stuff all my straps in. And then, um, on the opposite side, what I did in Arizona last year, rather than taking a whole tub, since I was camping at the truck, uh dedicated to camping uh jet boils all that stuff i put it on the left side completely decked out with all my camping gear okay yep so maybe i just have more tools but um i like that system and then Mm -hmm. um i have a lightener rack which is like all one piece forged and on on one side i have accessories like a gallon and a half of water a gallon and a half of gas and recovery boards in case i hit gumbo which i literally 
gumbo is more scary to me than snow. Um, and then on the other side is just like really giant storage systems. And then those systems I keep, I actually keep what you just said, like all my base camp stuff, like all my food, my cookware, mm-hmm. my silverware, wet wipes, towels, like just easy to get to. And those are on the driver's side. And then on top there is a Thule Tapui, basically two person rooftop tent mm-hmm. that folds out. And then I'll just be pulling, like I said, my utility trailer with two dirt bikes and the rest of my totes. Now, when I was in Nevada earlier this month, um, which by the way, I did spoiler alert. I didn't kill an antelope. I saw 33, right. I saw 33 antelope in seven days, mm-hmm. three bucks, one legal. It was terrible. I, I didn't get ripped off. I just, I put, I put down a unit that was not that good. Yeah. And I, as my last choice and what, you know, Nevada will go through all your choices if your name gets pulled out of the hat. So um, in those seven days, I moved camps like five times and a couple of times I didn't want to set up the rooftop tent. Mm-hmm. So, cause, cause you know, it does take five minutes to set up and 10 minutes to put away. And I was just like, no. So what I did was I could just threw a bedroll on top of the deck on the back of the deck. So yep just slept right there. No problem. It wasn't rain. It's the desert. It's not going to rain much. And, uh, that was super handy. So I think I'll do something similar. Like if I'm elk hunting and I'm moving locations and I do quite often and I got to pull 30 miles and I get back to the truck at well, it's nine o'clock at night yeah. and I got to drive 30 miles. I'm probably not going to set up the rooftop tent until I at least go out and check out and make sure I get into elk. Um, so I just sleep on the back, throw a bed roll out or on the ground even, but I like sleeping on top of the deck system because it's kind of, it's kind of cozy. And I, I'm kind of surrounded by all those accessories on the lightener rack and the rooftop tent is overhead. It's kind of a nice little shelter. Yeah. It's kind of almost kind of like having a camper shell. It's like, that's like what we did. Um, I did used to have a rack kind of like similar system to how you had, but it was kind of the same problem you ran into a little bit when you're having to move a lot it's kind of a pain in the butt to put that tent up. Um, so something we're trying this year is my dad actually built a five by eight trailer that he put a rack up on top. With, oh yeah. And we're putting the rooftop tent on top of that. So it's, if we know that we're going to be, you know, going around road bugling at night, we're going to be trying to find a bunch of different spots. We're going to be traveling. We can just drop the trailer and still have the truck. And then I've got the camper shell that if we need to crash, we just crash back there on top of the deck like you do. Oh, I really, I think that's really cool. The only, the only downfall to your system would be like, so there's some roads I would not want to bring a utility yeah. trailer up. And so that's why I decided to, cause I did consider that as an option. Yeah. And I ultimately, uh, I just, from especially last year, there was a couple places I drove a truck where I was like, huh, I couldn't. <laughs> I could never pull anything up this grade, this many rocks, Mm-mm. this narrow. So yeah, that's, that's something. Um, one other thing to note is like a rooftop tent does stick up in the air pretty high. So like if you're hitting really narrow, like hallway roads with lots of brush and stuff, yeah, you gotta be, you gotta be kind of careful there. So like there's some roads I probably can't travel because it's just going to rip the tent. Yeah. You know? It, it's it's got some good good sides downsides but at the end of the day they're they're pretty dang handy so they are especially for the mobile elk hunter like i think people hear me say this but i i feel like they they're not hearing me i change locations almost 
every day. And my job, and you've heard me at Elk State Camps, yeah. you pre- preach this is I'm going to be in the elk every day. I'm not going to be spending daylight hours like, oh, I'm going to go try to find some elk today. I'll just keep hiking um, <laughs> because the elk aren't very cooperative during the daylight hours, mm-hmm. but that's when we can kill them. So I like to locate elk in the evenings or in the early mornings. And by early mornings, it could be mean midnight yeah. and it could mean sleeping on elk. And that's fine yeah. um, because I'll catch up on sleep in October. For sure. Well, man, before we start diving into it, I basically, I mean, you're starting to get into what I wanted to make this podcast about was, you know, for that dude, girl, whoever's heading out to the, the trailhead right now, trying to give them some last minute nuggets in hopes that they're going to be successful. So in Dan's book, what are you doing as you're heading to the trail right now? Like what, what's starting to go through your head to get ready to hopefully go out and kill an elk or two? Yeah, man. So I, I'm going to try to <clears throat> arrive like a day or two early. If I get there two days early, I will have four glassing sessions for, from four different locations, yeah. an AM, a PM, an AM and a PM. And I will talk, we're talking 85 millimeter spotting scope, um, 20 by 56 is on a tripod for a bino. Mm-hmm. And I will sit there and I will find some bandages and I will look over five or six miles um, in a chair and I'll spend hours upon hours just trying to see elk, see elk and, yeah. and understand where are they kind of coming from, where are they staging and, and kind of what's their program, where are they going? And I want to do it from afar. I don't want to be, I there certainly would be upset with myself if I got there two days early and bumped several elk. Oh, yeah. I would not be, I, I don't want, I want to just do some stuff that's not going to disturb their summer patterns. And I'm assuming so I've elk hunted 20 years. This is my 20th year. Um, I've had elk tags in Nevada. I've had elk tags every state out West, except for Utah. Yeah. And so I have seen elk rutting bulls with cows, big herds, August 25th. Serious. I've, oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. I have also seen September 5th, 6th, 7th five to six bachelor bulls still together, still hanging out, still allies, not enemies yet. Mm-hmm. So it's very much your area is going to ch- just depend on what goes down in your area. Yeah. Um, obviously we know that daylight dictates testosterone levels and, and estrus cycles. And, but there are going to be, a, there's always a cow that gives birth early May. Yeah. Which means she was bred beginning of September, if not late August, if we can find those cows, those, I mean, if she's, if she squirts for lack of a better term, it's, it's, <laughs> you like that, don't you? That sounds it's like game, a Jill Turner. Uh, it, it's there. game on. Yeah. It's yeah. game on. And so you might get lucky and just get right into a bugle fest. I know in 2000, I think 2003 or four, I was solo elk hunting and it was August 30th and I hiked into a draw Mm-hmm. ran into a herd and had one of the best bugling sessions I've ever had and called that bull into seven yards and shot him. Uh, well shot at him. I had my, um, I had my bugle tube string hit my, uh, string when I released the arrow. Yeah. And, uh, this is, 
this is reverting back to all the mistakes I've ever made. Like we don't have a podcast long enough to go through all the mistakes I've made elk hunting, but that was a lesson learned to not have anything to know where your stuff goes so that nothing interferes with your string travel. But, um, that was August 30th, man. And I just remember, um, that day going forward that, you know, you don't have to wait for the peak of the rut to kill elk. You can get in on there. In fact, if we're being honest, I prefer, I enjoy elk hunting before, like all the days before about September 15th, Mm -hmm. I enjoy elk hunting more. I feel like it's more, um, uh, the best way to describe it is like you have more options and you have more curious elk, but once they kind of get locked down into their herds, their pecking order, their systems, they got a program. It gets a little trickier. Now, historically speaking, And I only know this because my dad's birthday is September 22nd. I have killed probably 60, 70% of my elk on his birthday or right around. Yeah. Within a day of his birthday, the 21st, 22nd, 23rd, I've definitely killed more elk those three days than any other days of September. Um, But I have killed elk September 2nd, 3rd, 4th, uh, 5th, all through there. Uh, uh, But I'm just saying like, yeah, it, it gets trickier, but at some point, you know, um, things change and elk start getting a little more stubborn. Mm-hmm. Um, so your question was what to do, try to get there early, try to glass from afar, try to study. I, I, my goal this year is to have four glassing sessions, an AM, a PM, two days in a row, four different locations, study, observe, try to find chinks in their armor try to find patterns try to observe behavior and understand is there is it a bachelor group are they patternable do i can i get out in front and just ambush or is it uh, is there a watering source um or is there hey that bull's acting acting pretty frisky and he's with the cows yeah. and he's a, a young satellite bull uh and he shouldn't have that many cows well then the big boys just haven't you know they haven't come out of their holes yet. They're still in their staging ground. So I'm very much trying to pretend to be a biologist right out the gates. What? So another question I have for you, let's say first timers going out and they immediately get into elk and I can speak on this from experience, but the first time you're out there that you get elk in front of you, you kind of, you kind of freeze you kind of go through this, oh shit, I've learned all this stuff. I don't remember what the hell to do. What, what do you tell that guy or girl that runs into that first time elk encounter that it could potentially be a seal the deal situation? That's a damn good question. And I'm going to tell them, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell everybody this right now. Um, you aren't going to rise to the occasion. You're going to fall back to your highest level of training or your highest level of experience. And if you have zero experience, you're going to probably screw it up. So remember these words, you are not whitetail hunting. Yeah. Don't try to be sneaky, get super low to the ground and try to like be all stealthy and, and like, if you're, if you're into the elk and they're being vocal and aggressive, then you need to match their mood, match mm-hmm. their vibe. If they're docile and, and kind of spread out and no bugling and the, the bulls really aren't interested in cows yet, why are you doing a herd gathering bugle with seven chuckles and raking a tree? They're going to look at you like, what's your problem? <laughs> so um, get in there, match the vibe 
and remember yeah. that you're not whitetail hunting. Man, matching the vibe that that that's a big key right there because, like I said, like speaking from experience, uh, my brother and I had taken off and we literally got in the middle of a couple of bulls going after it, and we're like what the hell do we do? And so we immediately did what you said not to do. And that's, we went into our Texas whitetail mode, be quiet, shut up, let's observe. And before we knew it, all of them were gone and you know, nothing happened. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those deals where it's like a blessing and a curse. Like, man, like we just jumped into elk right out the gates. Uh, will you be able to do that again? I don't know. So you really want to take advantage of those encounters Mm-hmm. And um, I think also we should probably back up, Will, something we talk about at Elk Shape Camps, and I've mentioned several times here on this podcast, is that you absolutely need to identify what success means for you going into the season for beforehand sure. and mm-hmm. understand, like, if you're hunting, like, you and your brother should probably understand expectations. Like, um, I'll just try to use you guys' as example. What's your brother's name? Richard. I know Richard. And Richard and you are, you know, tall, lean, drinks of water. Um, but you were a collegiate track athlete. Like you're a, like you might, I hope he doesn't listen to this, but you might be in better shape than him, Will. And so <laughs> you guys might need to have a conversation and your dad is older. You might yeah. need to have a conversation with everybody. Like, okay, so my expectations is that I'm not going to take a day off. I'm not going to sleep in. I'm not going to come back to camp middle of the day and, and, and make bacon and eggs and take a nap. Like that's more of an outfitted type hunt style. And there's nothing nothing wrong with that. It's just not for me. And so that would not be something that I would be interested in. And so Mm -hmm. I would communicate that. Um, I've just learned to not hunt with that many people because I will wear people out. I will strain people. Um, I could potentially be mean about hunting because I do treat it so seriously and I'm a very serious individual. So, um, if you and I were to hunt together, like we'd probably have a sit down conversation about like what my expectations are and what success is for me. And, and for me, success is not having an encounter with an elk. Like for me, I want to be into elk every day. That's success. And in order to do that, that's, that's a lot of miles on the boots and the truck and a lot of knowledge of what elk are going to do and understanding elk generalizations, meaning, Elk are very similar in behavior, regardless of the terrain, regardless of the state or the unit food, water cover is still a thing. And given the time of September, they're going to have certain predictable tendencies and that's where we take advantage of them. And so I think everybody needs to have a sit down, look in the mirror. What is success for you? If you've never killed anything in your life, I don't know if an elk's going a big six point bull elk is going to be your first bow kill and it it might happen, which is why you're out there, but you know, you might need to focus on, okay, I'll, I have an, any elk tag. I will shoot a cow. If one steps out in front of me, I will shoot a spike. Um, I won't shoot a calf or I will. Um, I just, some people need reps at actually murder and then breaking the animal down and seeing how it feels to get that animal back to the truck. Other people, just, you know, just depends on what level you're at and just yeah. know that there's, there are, there is levels to this will, and it never really hits the ceiling. It never really tops out. There's always new challenges ahead. I know I have my challenges to face this year and um, just understand your expectations and identify what your, you know, your golden outcomes could be like and pursue it. Yeah. I mean, you have to. And 
I, I think I think that's a good thing that people need to understand. Like you're saying, is you've got to you've got to sit down and have that talk because you might have one guy in camp that you know is, is like you that not coming back to camp, going hard balls of the wall. Then you got the other guy, other two or other one that wants to come back, and that's that's definitely a, a good nugget right there for people. Mm-hmm. I feel that. What would you say to the guy right now? Just got to the trailhead and he dropped a pin on Onyx that's 10 miles back. What do you say to that guy? It's his first or second time going in. He gets there and he wants to get as far away from people. What do you say to him? You know, hmm. do I have to be nice about it? Let's let's be Dan. Be Dan on uh, this. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate that they're gonna be like they're getting away from people, but I'm worried that nowadays that there's six other guys with the same mindset. Yeah. That are like, oh, I'm gonna get away from people. I'm gonna I've been training, I've been doing elk shape workouts, I've been taking my nutrition serious and shooting my weapon. I'm super, I got all the gear. Been watching campaigns. Uh, I've been, yeah, I've been, you know, run, lift, shoot, campaign stuff. And I'm just going to go back there 10 miles too. And I think all y'all might just end up rendezvousing 10 miles from the trailhead. And the elk don't like 10, you know, they like 10 miles away from the trailhead, but they certainly will come back towards the trailhead if there's six dudes in there with mm-hmm. six shelters and six stinky humans and a couple of Doug Fluties and just, yeah, so um maybe early in the season or early in your hunt you want to go to the highest hanging fruit which means the the most work the most commodities spent time and energy getting back there sure but what you're going to do when you bump those elk out of the out of that basin or there was three there's three herds and 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 now you're down to two herds and then you're down to one and then that herd's gone and there's just a couple stragglers left it's just the hunting kind of goes downhill so um which is why i pretty much don't do backcountry style elk hunting unless it makes sense yeah when it makes sense for me is like And we're going to interrupt this podcast for a quick little message from Black Rifle Coffee Company. These guys make amazing coffee here in the U.S. and they're veteran-owned and they're proudly American and unapologetic. I appreciate that. If you guys are interested in joining their coffee club or picking up maybe some swag, ready-to-drinks, or check out that new Flying Elk Roast flavor, use the discount code ELKSHAPE and that'll save you 15%. Also, Kafaru International. This is the backpack of choice for elk hunters. I use the Hoodlum or the 44 Mag. You guys need to check out Kafaru International if you are serious about packing out large loads of perfect protein off the mountain. Head over to kafaru.net to learn more. We're also brought to you by Onyx Hunt, the number one hunting GPS app. I've pretty much gone away from using an old school GPS. Obviously I still carry like an inReach, but all my hunting maps are stored and executed with the Onyx. This is the fastest downloading offline maps out there, as well as the most resilient, bulletproof. Not gonna crash on you when you need it most. I run tracking most days while elk hunting, and I found Onyx to be the most reliable hunting GPS app out there. Check it out today. And finally, Baku e-bikes. 
These are e-bikes made for hunters by hunters. This is a game changer for elk hunting as well as bear hunting, checking your tree stand trail cams, getting in and out quietly. I rock the mule. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE to knock $300 off your purchase. And if you do that, you might as well just go ahead and apply that discount towards a folding cargo trailer so you can put your elk quarters and haul them out back to the truck. Depending on the country where if like I'm in a complete wilderness area and it's all roadless, then, then obviously, yeah, man, like you're, you're in a position to where you're going to go deep. Um, mm -hmm. And in that instance, you need to study the terrain and land features and figure out what are the biggest ridge systems that you can run into where you can kind of glass or pitch bugles into the most basins possible without leaving that main ridge system. Uh, don't be stuck on some teeny tiny finger that you're going to have to crawl your way out of to go check out, check bugles. And you're talking, well, I can't bugle into that next drainage until tomorrow. Cause it's going to take me all day to get out of this one. It's just um, managing the commodity of time and energy. And everybody's pretty studly for about three or 2.5 days, I would say is the average. Yeah. And then reality hits that you are probably dehydrated. Mm -hmm. Your uh, glycogen levels are pretty much depleted. Uh, so your fuel levels are just kind of, uh, and your body is trying to regenerate, recover, restore, renew, and you're a little bit sleep deprived and you're at elevation and you're trying to match wits with elk that live there and know the best ways to move around. And you're still stumbling your way through. You might get caught into downfall hell where the elk already knew that not to go into that patch of timber that's downfall everywhere. Just skirt around here. You are doing hurdles with a backpack on. Yeah. And so, you know, it's just, it's just, I don't think it's the best idea to go super deep if you don't have to initially, yeah. I would work, work your tears and evolve as you navigate through elk country. Okay. What about, let's, let's talk. Um, I kind of want to get into the whole night bugling because I think it's, it's something that's kind of come up recently. I think in the past year or so, you're starting to hear more and more about it, about guys, night bugling, road bugling. So let's say you locate that bull or two, you know, you're up on the top of the ridge at night, you bugle, you find it. What does Dan, like what's Dan's process at that point? You hear the bugle, it's 3 a.m. in the morning. What steps are you taking next? Wow, that's pretty early in the morning. I think I'm going to bed. I'm going to probably lay down and fall asleep. Like you mission accomplished. You just located several elk or the elk. That's mm -hmm. good. That's really good. Um, I think you got to look at it from two lenses. One lens is, okay, I needed to find elk and I done did that. Okay, cool. That box is checked. Then you have to move on to your next box, which is like, um, what's my strengths? So for me personally, I can bugle pretty good. I can cow call. I can make all those sounds. I got a lot of experience calling an elk for myself and my dad. Um, and, but that's not my main tactic. So I'm going to put that on the back burner and I'm probably going to try to get them killed right in transition, right in the morning, right as it's getting light, right as they're staging to head towards their bedroom, which yep. could be a take them 10 minutes. It could take them, an hour I've seen elk finally get to their bedroom, but at around 10 AM 
and actually probably the latter more commonly. Um, that transition time right there, it's really physical to, to keep up with elk on four legs and they have 600 pounds of muscle or they weigh 600 pounds and half that's muscle. They're going to four wheel drive through there. So um, for me, I got to decide, am I going to try to kill them in transition? Is it plausible? Can I get the win right? Um, is there, are there other satellite bulls pestering the herd bull? Um, how many cows are there? How spread out are they? Is it thick country? Is it open country? Can I, do I have visual um, or am I going just off every, let's say every 15 minutes, the herd bull does a, a bugle pushing cows. That's going to be 15 minutes of silence where I'm going to have to try to figure out which way they're going. Um, so if you're hunting with a partner, I would probably, you locate that. Are you there? Yeah, I lost you a little bit. Sorry. Okay. If you're hunting with a partner, I would strongly suggest that you probably locate the elk at 3 a.m., maybe hang out, catch some Zs, trade off with your partner. But mm -hmm. once it starts daylight breaking, get as high ground as possible yeah. because the higher you are, the more you can hear. And the higher you are, the faster you cover country. So, Will, if you're in the bottom of a canyon and, you, and I'm on top of the ridge and we're both headed to the same distance location, mm -hmm. you're going to travel five times as far as me. The higher you are, the less ground you have to cover yep. because that's how mountains work, y'all. And so me and my partner, we're going to dog this herd. We're going to follow them to their bedroom. We're going to keep tabs. We're going to stay high. We're going to keep the wind right. We're going to not be too close, but not too far. And we're going to basically count on them giving away their location along the way. And then they're going to stage to when they bed and then they're going to bed down. And then we are going to let them get bedded down and get those cows super, super cozy, comfortable, chill, possibly even fall asleep in about 12, 1231, give or take. That's where we're going to run Dirk Durham's midday madness. We're going to get in there close and we're going to challenge the bull and hope and hope that he either wants to defend his right to breed. We're going to hope that his cows don't want to get up and leave. And we're going to try to call this bull in. That's probably your highest percentage with a partner. Um, solo guy, me, I'm going to try to do everything I can to kill him in transition in the morning. Yeah. And then I'm probably going to back out okay. uh, unless they're in some sort of bedding feature that I can visually see where all the cows are. And I feel like I can get into the bubble, mm -hmm. hang out tight and wait for that herd bull to get up, scent check, rake a tree, get water, whatever, or sneak up and shoot him in his bed. I'll do that, but that's very risky business. That's only going to happen when the country is made for it. Otherwise, I'm going to back out, take a nap during the day. Yes, I said take a nap and then get ready to kill those elk in the evening when I got about 30 minutes of good, reliable thermals coming down and I'm going to get underneath them and I'm going to kill them in transition on their way back to feeding. Got it. Boom. I like it. That's going to definitely help me out. Um, when you're so I got another question for you. So let's say you blow one of those stocks, you blow the herd there. The guy just, or, you know, it's you, whoever that stocks just blown elk gone. What's your next step? Obviously back out, but you're going to try and attack that herd again the next day, or are you completely relocating to another side of the unit, another Ridge, or if you've got a general over the counter unit, like you do in Colorado, are you going to a different unit? I mean, it all depends. It's situational. Um, my quick answer is going to be, I'm out. I'm going to put those elk on ice. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go find different elk to mess with. I may come back in a day or two or three days. Mm -hmm. um, 
like Idaho. I like putting Idaho because uh, I have a cabin in Idaho. I've killed so many elk in Idaho, 20 something. I can't, I don't know how many, a ton. Got a lot. Like I just grew up there elk hunting in Idaho. Um, I would say that in Idaho, I know, I knew that I could put elk on ice because I didn't think in most instances they would get messed with by other hunters. I kind of had them to myself. And so I would put them on ice. Um, I don't know. And like, to me, Colorado kind of scares me. It's like you found elk in Idaho or in Colorado and you just bumped them. Did they change zip codes or did you just bump them over the ridge? Yeah. Uh, that's how bad of a bump did you do? Um, and is there another hunter on the other side of the ridge is going to bump them back to you? So like high pressure areas, I don't know if you want to leave elk to try to go find elk. Mm-hmm. That might be a mistake. Less pressured areas i would probably leave them alone that evening and try to figure out what they go do um but that lead cow smart she may have a new system and a new program to follow the very next morning and they might you may not even be able to find them the next day so generally speaking i'll put them on ice but it also depends on where you're hunting and how bad the hunting pressure is like colorado is one of the it's one of the worst places as far as hunting pressure goes and so and it's just because of the sheer number of non-resident hunters in that state. It's undeniable. It's not an opinion. It's a fact. So yeah. you, you just have to kind of, kind of look at it from a, you know, a perspective of, can I afford to leave elk to go find elk? And in some instances you can. Mm-hmm. No, I definitely understand that on Colorado too. I mean, at first being a Texas resident, when I first saw that they went and turned that entire Southwest corner to draws, I was like, well, man, that sucks. You know, now I don't, that limits my over-the-counter options. But then the more I've got into elk hunting and the more I've listened and read, it makes total sense. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk, uh, let's talk about meat care. You know, you finally get that bull down. You able to get an arrow in them, success. You got your gripping grins. You got your Instagram worthy photos. What does meat care look like for you? Um, so I've only lost meat on one elk and it was in 2012 and it was, uh, it was a learning experience, which is why I will share about it. And so I came off this ridge and there was a herd bull I'd been hunting for a few days Mm. and there was no one else hunting him. And when I got down it was just breaking daylight when I got down there. I noticed that there was a new bull in the area and these two were kind of just screaming at each other back and forth. Yeah. I was in a position to cut the distance extremely fast. I dropped like five or 600 vertical feet through alders and huckleberry brush, got down in there super tight. And by the time I got to him, this new bull, basically I heard him lock up antlers and the herd bull was very distinct on his bugle. Like it was, he's one of the most amazing. We called him Leo. He sounded <laughs> like a lion. Dang. Uh, he was amazing. And um, I never, I don't think anyone ever got him killed and he's no longer alive, but I don't know. I always figured I'd run into him or find his rack, but um, had him on camera. He's like a big 350 bull, which is huge for Idaho, especially North Idaho. And Anyways, long story longer is um, I snuck down there right after they got into a, a little bit of a tussle. The bull that I ended up shooting lost the fight, 180, 
and came up the ridge bugling and I was right there, shot him, got him killed. It was probably daylight for 20 minutes. So I, it happened really fast. And um, I ended up getting my dad. Um, somehow, I can't remember the details, but my dad was there uh, eventually. Yeah. And when, by the time he got to me, he helped me break down. The, we took a couple pictures uh, and then we broke down the bull. And what we did is we, um, we decided to go gutless. Okay. okay. And, and I like, I like gutless. Uh, and we peeled off and got all the quarters off on one side, mm-hmm. got them in bags, got them on our backpacks, flipped the elk over. And we're like, you know what? There's a road above us here. We just got to, we just got to get the truck up around on this road and we'll come back down and get the last quarters off the elk. Yeah. That, that was a giant mistake because it, because two things happened. It got really hot and we didn't know what we didn't know. By the time we got to the truck, got the, all the meat off one half to the truck. We got in the truck and drove to get to this other road. Well, it was, it was, there was no way to get there without taking a detour. This detour was an hour plus. So we drove paved roads an hour to get basically on the other side of this mountain system. And then by the time we got there, we found the road, we pulled up to the road and it was gated and it was locked and it uh. shouldn't have been. And we couldn't like we locked, knocked on a couple of people's doors that lived nearby the road. We're like, hey, do you have key to this gate? We got a dead elk up here. We drove an hour around and nobody had a key. So we drove one hour back around plus time to get to the bowl. And by the time we got to that bowl, the meat was spoiled uh. and it was so hot. And so that day forward, that was in 2012. I, had, I was pretty seasoned elk hunter by then, like yeah. really seasoned. Um, so I vowed to never, ever leave meat on the animal, always take all the meat off first, get them, yep. get them. And that's pretty common sense, but I was an idiot. So as far as gutless method goes, I still believe in it. A lot of times I don't gut elk. Um, but keep in mind, the majority of the elk I've killed, I've been by myself. Mm-hmm. And so usually I'll go gutless and I'll take off one half. So neck, shoulder, backstrap, hind quarter, and then flip the elk over and repeat the process. Some of the elk I've killed, their bodies are so big that I literally cannot, like they'll, they'll go into a snag and die against an old snag or something. Oh, yeah. I'll get, I'll get all that off. And then I can kind of slowly drag them away from the snag. Um, but a lot of times I can't. So I still just, once I get, once I get one half the elk off, I will pull the guts out to get all that water weight and gut weight out. And mm-hmm. then I can kind of manipulate the elk better. And this is what I did in Montana last year on October 9th. I killed my bull in Montana. Uh, I broke all like one half of it down, pulled the guts out and then flipped it over and was able to flip it over a lot easier. It was a big bodied bull. And, and then I took the other half out. Um, and then I'll just talk about that specific hunt. I hung all the game bags up, um, some on logs and stuff. Got but him up in it shade. was got him in shade. It was cool. It was evening. I shot that bull an hour before dark. So by the time I had that bull all broken down, we're talking 11 midnight, somewhere in there. It mm-hmm. takes me two full hours solo to break an elk down on the average. And yeah. that's hauling. Um, so I don't necessarily hang, hang my meat super high, but I got my meat off the ground where air's coming underneath it as well. Um, I was in G bear country. Um, so it wasn't ideal. Um, so what I ended up doing was taking my quarters about 400 yards away from the kill site. 
where the guts were. And also I made sure that it was in an open area where I could approach downwind and see my quarters the next day. Yeah. Uh, and then I proceeded to hike out and I didn't hike out any meat on the way out for, for one main reason. The way I got into that country was a lot different than the way I was going to go out. Okay. The way I was going to go out was through pretty much just scree rock slides, just non, there's no trail. Uh, and I had to have both hands with trackers or, and tracker poles and, um, all my gear. And so I decided to not pack any meat out and I made it back to the truck just a little after midnight. Mm-hmm. And then I filmed the whole, you guys should go watch this video. It's on my YouTube channel. It's like my last hunt of elk hunt last year in 2020. Yeah. I filmed my entire pack out the next day and I ran tracking and it was three miles up to the end of the Creek and then one mile up to the meat. And so that was four miles to the, to the meat. And then I took the meat and I would just take the meat one load at a time down to the Creek, go back up. So I did that four times going just one mile up, one mile down, one mile up, one mile down four times uh, to get just the meat to the Creek because now it's daylight. Now it's going to get warmer and I wanted it near colder air. Yeah. And um, then from there um, I did one load at a time, three miles down to the truck, drop a quarter off back up three miles, grab a load, back down, did that four times. And then, um, I think it was about seven or eight o'clock at night. It was just getting dark. And I still, I had all the meat to the truck, but I hadn't gotten the rack. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm just going to get the rack in the morning. And then I was like, no, I want to be, I don't want to hike the next day. So I just decided to go get the rack out that night. And I looked at my Onyx tracking and I had done over a marathon in one day. And that was all like half those miles were with meat, meat on my back. Um, so you got to understand that meat is the prize. Like that is your precious. That's what you, that's what you're after. And you treat it as such that is gold. So don't be hauling antlers out first. I'll punch you in the throat. Like that is not cool. You, you go get all your meat out and you get it hanging, you get it cooled and Mm -hmm. go from there. Now, as far as like, like for me, I'm, I'm going to be hunting, you know, in Idaho. And then I go to New Mexico and I have a hunt in Washington and I have a hunt in Arizona. Uh, that's not all in September, but that's uh, some of those are. And I won't, there's no word. Like I have to like make arrangements with meat packers for some of the units I'm hunting. Cause they're so deep yeah. that and I'm going solo that I don't, I cannot physically do what I did in Montana in some of these places. You don't so have time. it's just, you're going to, you run out of time. Um, so you got to have a meat packer on speed dial, have their in reach, have their cell phone, make prior arrangements, come up with the price, probably come up with two different meat packers. Cause they might be busy when you need them and plan on moving that meat to a place where they can get a horse too. They can't always get to the kill site. Yeah. And then the other thing is like, okay, so I don't have time to go home with some of my meat. So I'm going to take my meat to, uh, a butcher. Um, I prefer to butcher all my own elk meat, but there might be instances where I take them to uh, a butcher and then say, Hey, I'm going to pay to butcher, but I also need you to like, hold on to it for a few extra days. I'll pay whatever. And I'll come back and get on my way home. So meats, uh, there's a lot of logistics and don't overlook that. They're they're all good problems to have will, but it's just things I've learned throughout the years. Uh, I do have a question because I see people doing this and people not doing this. Um, Do you keep bone in? 
with your quarters or you like to debone sometimes? Like with that, like with the bull that you had the marathon with, essentially, did you debone that or legs and all? No, I, no, I did not debone that bull. I kept the, I kept the meat. I kept the, it was, it was October 9th. Mm-hmm. Uh, it got pretty cold at night. Yeah. And that was fortunate for me. Had it been September 9th and maybe it doesn't get very cold at night, I might, I may debone it. It depends okay. on, it kind of depends on how long it's going to take me to get this meat to a cooler. Okay. Um, and so, I mean, there are some really hot September days where you have to get the meat off the bone. Like it's just too far. It's if you don't want to run the risk. So it's never a bad idea. Just remember when you're taking meat off the bone, um, there's a way to do it to where you basically make very few cuts on the meat. Mm-hmm. Don't hack your meat up into small pieces. You'll lose meat. Yeah. Keep it all attached as one unit and just go against the bone and peel it off just the bone. Um, and that'll work well, but my, my preference is bone in. Okay. I gotcha, man. And that's, that's pretty, I really like what you said about don't take the antlers out first, because like you're saying, you're going up there for the meat, the, the rack, the antlers, that's, that's the icing on top of the cake, man. It is hundred percent. I want to talk about, I'm, I'm backing up a little bit. Um, I want to talk about once you finally get that bull in front of you, you know, we're talking, we're talking to that guy again, that's heading to the trail guy or girl, but you finally get that bull in front of you. Perfect broadhead or not broadhead, a uh, perfect broadside shot. And you're drawn back. And I'm going back to the blog that you wrote for us about everything hinges upon executing a controlled shot. What's going through your mind right then and there, full draw, you're about to squeeze that trigger, back tension, whatever it is, but you're about to pull the trigger. What's going through Dan's mind? Okay, so um, I I have a voice inside that's saying, oh, my God, this is happening. Oh, my God, this is, this is happening. And that voice is trouble, okay? Yeah. Because you're kind of like in shock that you're actually – like what you set out to do and and it's actually materializing right before your very eyes. And you're like, it's kind of almost like you're in shock. Like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to get a shot. This is going to get a shot rather than, okay, there's a specific way I need to pull my bow back with my grip, the way my elbow, the angle of my elbow, I need to use the right muscles. I need to find my anchor position and I need to make sure that my front shoulder is down and up against the spine. And then I need to find my bubble, make sure my housing is perfectly centered over the peep. And then I need to pick a very specific spot on the animal that I'm going to shoot. I need to be watching the animal to see when he's going to stop or if I'm going to stop him with a cow call, what the distance is. Do I have the correct pin selected? Did I dial to the correct yardage? And then I wrap my finger around the trigger or my thumb around the barrel. And then I look at the spot and then I start talking to myself. Okay, Dan, you know, you've gone through all your checklists. Here we go. And once I say, here I go, then I'm going to be walking myself through the pulling process of my bow. And just knowing that I need to keep looking at exactly at what I want to hint, regardless of what my pen's doing and floating around. Mm-hmm. As long as my eyeballs are staring at where I want to hit and I'm talking to myself to keep pulling, eventually that bow will break off, hopefully unbeknownst to me, and it'll be a super clean break. 
And the next thing I'll see is Fletch just getting buried through the elk hide. Now, dude, adrenaline and high heart rate and anticipation and excitement. None of that really happens in your backyard wearing shorts and flip-flops. No. Um, you probably don't have a backpack on or buying a harness. You're probably not sweaty, covered in dirt, duh, dehydrated, and homesick. Uh, so it's really hard to duplicate that scenario. So uh, it's going to take several encounters um, for you to have somewhat of a grasp on shooting a controlled shot. Um, but just know that getting the bow pulled back, you can't just yank it back, slap the trigger as soon as the pen is on fur and hope that you're going to make a shot. It's um, something I've done in the past and it's, it doesn't work out well. We're all guilty of it. I know I am. Man, I, I love all this. I mean, this is to me, if, if I'm heading to the trailhead right now, like this, this is all gold, golden nuggets. What do you have any kind of other advice for that guy or girl that's heading to that trailhead that they're trying to pull that last bit of info before they head out there? Oh man, same old elk shaped stuff. Just you got to realize how lucky you are to be doing this. And you got to realize that you are going out to do something that very few people will ever get to experience. And like, you have to cherish every second. You can't squander any second. It seriously comes and goes so fast. And just know that, um, Will, it's a really, really long off season. So don't do anything that you're going to be regretful about for 11 months thinking about, man, why didn't I go after that bugle with 30 minutes of daylight left? I, at the time I was tired. Um, you'll think about that for 11 months. What if I'd actually tried to go after that? Or what if I checked out that drainage? So mm -hmm. don't have a bunch of what ifs when the season's over, just go give it everything you got. And then regardless of the outcome, know that you gave it your best. You controlled your effort and attitude and you'll have a great off season. I love it, man. I love it. Well, of all the hunts you got coming up this year, I know you said you've got quite a few. What is the one that you're looking forward to the most? Oh man. If I can go down to Texas with Numa and just do like a big old whitetail high fence hunt over a feeder, that would make my season. You looking forward to that? <laughs> I'm just playing with you. Dude. I know. <laughs> um, so don't get it twisted. I need to kill a white tail in Texas. Yeah. Um, I've never done that. And so I kind of was joking there, but then on the flip side, like I'm pretty serious. Like I, I actually look forward to doing a white tail hunt with you guys. Um, I've never hunted Texas for anything. Yeah. Well, yeah. Hogs don't count at night with infrared guns, but like a white tail hunt in Texas has always been on my list. Um, I'm really looking forward to, uh, my first hunt of the year, <clears throat> which is going to be solo elk hunting in Idaho. And I'm not really promising to film much for anyone for YouTube. It's kind of like my one selfish hunt of the year where it's like, I get some footage. Great. But I'm not married to the camera. I'm yeah. not, I don't have any hunting partners, no cameramen. It's just me versus me. And, um, that's special. I'm going to take advantage. I like that, man. Dude, How about you? Man, I'm looking forward to spending the whole month of September pretty much up there in Colorado. We're going to go the first two weeks with my brother and dad. My brother's got a tag, and we're just going to focus on him. And then uh, I'll come home for a few days and then head back out with the NUMA crew 
Uh, we're going to go out for, I'll be there for about seven or eight days. And then uh, the rest of the team will remain there till the end of the month. But I'm excited about that too. So how are you going to stay married um, being gone for basically what you just said there was four weeks with two or three days to change your gear and say hi to your child? Um, unsolicited marital advice, William, what, what are you going to do? What have you done? How are you going to mitigate that? Dude, I have been just, I've been trying to take care and be present as much as possible right now in this time. Like I know this is also like crunch time for us because it's, you know, seasons upon us. You're trying to get all your gear ready. You want to make sure you got all your T's crossed and your I's dotted. But I don't know, for example, like my wife had to be gone for a week last week for work. So I was on baby duty for the whole week and uh, just really trying to be present, man. Taking mm-hmm. care, taking care of them as much as possible. If the wife wants to go do something silly, hey, let's go do it. It doesn't matter. You want to go on a couple of date nights? Let's go. Um, and just trying to hold my daughter as much as I can because, yeah, I mean, but at the end of the day, my wife also sees that um, I come back a better man. It's what I don't. I don't want to necessarily say it's what I live for because elk hunting has changed my life dramatically for the good. Um, and she just sees it, how happy it makes me and that it's what I'm passionate about. So she understands that. And uh, she just understands that for the next 11 months that I'm hers. <laughs> Dude, I mean, those are really important things you just mentioned there. Like understanding that you're going to come back a better version. Yeah. It sounds good on paper uh, until you prove it. Yeah. So men, I'm talking to you. Women, I don't know anything about you. You're strange creatures. But for men, <laughs> you you come home and you show that you are an actual better man because you've had time to reset. Think about what have you prioritized last year and what needs to be prioritized this year going forward, Where what things you've done well and what things you've fallen short. And there are things you have fallen short. You have yeah. been selfish. You have been lazy you've been insecure, you haven't been supportive, you haven't listened, whatever it is, trust me, I'll have a freaking list of mm-hmm. all the shit I need to fix. And I could probably come up with a few items right now. But William, when I'm in the mountains, and it's a it's a lull in the day, and I'm sitting here looking at myself, thinking, man, I'm pretty lucky to be able to do this. I'm going to take the time to reflect and look at, you know, how I've been doing. And maybe I'm not spending enough time with the kids here. Or maybe I'm not as engaged there or maybe parenting wise, like parenting, like maybe I'm doing a terrible job at allowing my kids too much screen time or, um, yeah. you know, are, should I get them in different sports or uh, are we going to church enough? Are, are we really living a good example for our kids? So um, it's special. It's not just about going and getting blood on the ground, which I mean, that's going to happen, but it's more the whole process again comes down to you are blessed to be an elk hunter. Don't take, you know, don't squander it. hundred percent, man. I know like one of the things I'm going to do this year, um, kind of touching on what you talked about, you know, looking back on the the year prior is I have a couple of things that I've written down and where I've fallen short in whether that's taking care of the house, you know, being more present on things, just whatever, you know, everybody has their demons in the closet that they're going to come out when you're out there on the mountain. But I have these things written down 
that I'm actually going to put my vinyl harness. And uh, so that it's a reminder for me to think back on those things and look on those things back. Okay. I really sucked at this. Right. What, what can I do moving forward? Or there's shit that hit the fan or just struggles throughout the year. What can I do to overcome those things and be better? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's really cool. And I hope that you actually like, if you can maybe post some of that stuff and share some of that, I know it maybe is personal, but it will inspire other people to do the same. And I think it's some powerful stuff that you just said right there, man. For sure, man. And it's, yeah, I think I, I may do that. That's, that's a good idea. I never, why not? Why not? Cause yeah, there's, there's no telling what other people are going through. There really isn't. You never know. No. Mm-hmm. Well, man, I know we're really excited to get you down here for Texas and you know, it is what it is. It's fence fences feeders but uh grocery gonna, shopping you know, we're, we're gro- yeah we're grocery shopping we're going to be on a few thousand acres um you know I, I think we're gonna have a lot of fun and i think it'll be a good time to really get to honestly share a camp with you i know elk hunting to you is pretty sacred and you're pretty hardcore i know jake's told me that when i met him at tack <laughs> but uh I, i'm i'm looking forward to, to spending spending a week with you and a couple other NUMA team members and just relationship building and just honestly just sharing a camp with you and going hunting together, man. Oh, that's everything, man. It's just carving out time, hanging out with like-minded people, iron sharpens iron. You you have one go at this life. You have to be very picky on who you keep in your inner circle. That's probably like the most important thing we've talked about today is keep a tight circle, iron sharpens iron, surround yourself with people that inspire you and that are smarter than you. And you're going to be in a good position. Yeah. What, what's the what's the saying that if you're the smartest person in the room, it's probably not a good thing. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> undeniable. Yeah. Well, brother, I really appreciate you taking the time, especially with elk season upon us, just to sit down and you know hopefully give a few of the listeners out there some nuggets that will hopefully make them become successful, be a better person, be a better hunter. But just really appreciate the time this morning. Right on, man. I appreciate you. And um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll put this on the Oakshade podcast as well, too. So hopefully people can hear this and know that now Numa's got their own podcast and they should hit subscribe and go check it out. Will, you do a great job. Appreciate it, man. I really do. Awesome podcast. Thank you, Will. You asked some pretty good questions. And uh, I'm looking forward to that rematch in 2022 at TAC. I'm a little nervous. You are pretty good archery guy there. You, you have a pretty good shot break and uh, you know how to work on bows. And uh, you got a longer draw than me. And uh, I'm still going to beat you. NUMA Outdoors, discount code ELKSHAPE20. 20% off the newest gear, the newest arrivals, support a blue-collar elk hunting brand. NUMA is where it's at. They support Elk Shape. I support them. I would love to see you guys rocking some NUMA this year, especially their new and latest and greatest Palisade Puffy, the Pursuit Pant, some other stuff I can't talk about. It's coming out. It's They got some great stuff. Wilderness Athlete, discount code Elk Shape, 30, 30% off. Get your Hydrate Recovery, Green Formula, Energy and Focus, Protein Powders, uh, whatever you need. Uh, Midnight Recover. All that good stuff to enhance your hunting. Vortex Wear, discount code Elkshape, 20% off. Vortex Wear is like the stuff I actually wear when I'm working out or when I'm scouting. Uh, I don't I don't wear much else besides Vortex Wear. I know they make binoculars and spotting scopes and rifle scopes, but check out Vortex Wear. Look good, feel good, do good. 
That's what I'm saying. So uh, thank you, Vortex, for all your support throughout the years. You guys are awesome. I can't wait to do Elk Shape Camp 2022 at your headquarters. Speaking of Elk Shape Camp, pre-sale's over, but we have early bird pricing. Go to elkshape.com. Go to my store. Get yourself signed up for Elk Shape Camp. We will change your life. We will elevate your game. I don't say that in jest. I mean that truthfully, honestly, from the bottom of my heart. I will find your weaknesses. I will get a blueprint for you to create more success on and off the field. In the mountains, off the mountains, at home, at work, entrepreneurial, uh, discipline, delayed gratification. Uh, I bleed that and I put everything, my heart and soul, into those camps. I actually have a really badass team that comes with me. Joel Turner, Mark Livesey, Dirk Durham. Hell, Jason Phelps is coming to one of the camps. Jeff Bynum couple other people iron will bill the camp's going to elevate so check out oak shape camp i'm not going to plug it much more but I, I we have a few spots left at each camp so get signed up don't wait i am going to bump the prices up uh after october so get on it black rifle coffee company one of my favorite brands to work with because i love coffee i love america i love bows so I love guns as well, and I just like shooting projectiles, and I like drinking coffee, and I like being highly caffeinated, and I like a company that supports us. So support Black Rifle. If you're going to make a purchase, use the discount code Shape. It'll take 15% off. BlackOvis.com is where I would pick up anything under the sun gear-wise as well as crispy boots. I'm rocking the Brickstalls, the Colorados, uh, the Guides. Get a few pairs of boots. Throw some sheep feet in there. So the discount code for sheep feet and black ovis is elk shape. It takes 10% off. Check out both those brands. They they pair nicely. Northwest retention systems for your chest holster. Get the scout. Put a big old Glock 20 in there or I have a Glock 23 or whatever hand piece you want. Get yourself some gun spray. Be safe. You owe it to your family. Discount codes elk shape 10% off. No shipping and handling. Five-day lead time, and you're supporting a local dude here in Washington who's just hustling like you. Stowaway Gourmet's got discount code ELK10. I think their food's pretty decent, so I asked them for a discount code. I get nothing out of it, so there you go. And want to say what up to Spy Point Trail Cameras. Uh, I leave trail cameras out for the year. I actually put trail cameras in my backpack while elk hunting. Sometimes I discover a, a, a badass wallow or an amazing pinch point, and I'm like, I'm going to put a camera here, and I'll just leave it out for the rest of the year and get it maybe the next year. Uh, I even put out trail cameras in units I don't even have tags for this year in other states, and I'm leaving them out to soak for the year. Put them high, point them down, Walk away, come back next year, and learn about your elk area. Spy Point, I like their cell phone trail cameras where legal. Get the micro LTE, or you can get, they have a micro link where you can put that to any trail camera that you own and turn it into a cell phone camera, and it works flawlessly. Uh, just make sure that you format your cards. Make sure that your cameras have their uh, firmware updated, and you're good to go. Put some lithium batteries in there. Buck Knives USA. I just want to thank Buck Knives for all their support. I've been working hard to get a partnership with them. I can't wait to introduce some of their new stuff they're coming out this year. I can't wait to cut up some of the animals with their classics like the Buck 110 that everyone should own. I appreciate your support. Shout out to Buck Knives. Guys, you have a lot of options when it comes to podcasts. Thank you for choosing ours. I hope you got something out of that. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you're fired up. Take advantage of September. It's short. It's sweet. It's finite. Give it everything you got. Episode number 200 in the books. We'll catch you on the next one.